Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Here are the things that I've been targeted for based on who I am online. The internet has tried to sell me boots. I eventually bought them. A Swatch Watch, because I like them. Netflix and Amazon have fed me Sasquatch movies because for like a week, I was into them. The point is that sometimes I was okay with this kind of data targeting, and sometimes I was like, nah, creepy. A new California law is trying to make it easier to see what kind of data companies have on us. It's a rare chance for consumers to have just a little bit of control over their information, even though we've already lost so much of our privacy already. What I have to presume is that there's some kind of a zombie profile out there about me that explains everything. Today, what do companies know about our very own Silicon Valley editor? I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to The Bay. As one lawmaker said, it is the toughest consumer data privacy law in the nation because it is the only consumer data privacy law in the nation. Rachel Myro is editor of KQED Silicon Valley Desk. And the law she's talking about is the California Consumer Privacy Act, which went into effect at the beginning of 2020. You have about four basic rights. One. Number one, you can demand any company tell you what it's collecting about you. Not just that it's collecting information about you, but what specifically. Two. You can demand that it allow you to opt out of selling on your data. Tech companies and non-tech companies have a little side business going where they're selling your data on. And you can demand that they stop doing that. Three. Three. You can demand that the company delete your data. Now, this may make things complicated. If you ask Lyft to delete your data, how are you going to use Lyft? So there, there are some companies for whom this might not make much sense, but it's interesting to know that you have that option. Four. And four, if a company could be deemed to have been negligent in allowing itself to be hacked, allowing the, its data to be breached, your data to be breached, you could conceivably sue. Can I have you complete this sentence? And the sentence is, so the bill passes and it's signed into law, and Rachel thinks, what? We're off to the races. Here's the thing, Devin. Most people, most civilians, are not going to take the hours it it takes to really explore the, the fulsome possibilities of exercising their rights with this bill. For the most part, the folks who are going to do this kind of exploration are going to be data privacy advocates, like nonprofit organizations like uh, Common Sense, uh, or they're going to be reporters like myself, you know, like, oh, this is interesting. I can do a bunch of stories about this one. And 
The hope that data privacy advocates have with this bill going forward is that companies can be shamed into behaving better. Right now, it's a mixed bag. Some companies are waiting for the attorney general to come get them. Other companies are right on it right away. Uh, Microsoft is a kind of a standout uh, in saying, hey, we're not going to just offer these rights to California consumers, but also anybody in the United States. Uh, we're willing to comply with this law right away. That's kind of where you come in. You decided to go out and and find data that companies were collecting on you. And so how did you go about finding companies that might have your data? Well, I think it's fair to argue that almost any company that operates online has data about me. That's a given. That's just the world we live in. That includes companies that I have direct-to-consumer accounts with, uh, like Facebook and Amazon. It also includes companies I don't have a direct relationship I may not even know exist, let alone collect my data. Facebook reportedly gave user data to Chinese telecommunications companies, including one flagged by U.S. intelligence as a national security risk. According to reports... What I wanted to do as a reporter, though, was was really just sort of pick a subset. So I, I picked 12 different companies, each of which sort of inhabits a different space in the ecosystem. This is obviously just going to be a sort of anecdotal exploration because it's just 12 companies and it's just me. But I, I want to sort of see what happens over the course of this year as I attempt to exercise each right. And I've just started so far with the first one. What information are you collecting about me? The companies that I picked, Facebook, Amazon, Peloton, Tinder, Expedia, Airbnb, Lyft, a company called Solve Media. Uh, they make those little I am not a robot gizmos. Ring, WhatsApp, Ralph's, Rite Aid, and Evite. How hard was it to get data from all these companies? Well, so it's a real mixed bag. Uh, you know, I, one example here, Lyft got back to me right away. <laughs> Your Lyft data is ready and waiting. Please download now. You get these giant Lyft files, and then it has different kinds of information, some of which is completely unreadable, you know, where you're just looking at it going, I have no idea what this means. Here's a fun one. SMS messages. I'm here. Don't see you. <laughs> That, that's me contacting the driver. Here's another one. I'm, I'm right here. Where are you? This is totally me. Ignore the traveling blue dot. I am standing outside 50 Beale, which is the address for KQED in San Francisco. What I like about this is that it, it makes sense. There's some other information where, you know, you pull up a bar chart and you don't understand any of it. It's all in computerese. It makes no sense. And yeah, you're just staring blankly at it thinking, I don't understand how this tells me anything. So some of the data that you're getting back makes sense, and it sounds like some of it just makes absolutely no sense. What are you learning about these companies as you start getting your data back? Well, you know, this is confirmation of, of what I and I presume other people are reading about in other news articles, which is the general story we're getting about this surveillance advertising economy is, one, what I said to you earlier about the idea that any company every company. It's just an easy presumption that just about every company is collecting information about you, whether or not it's related to your consumer relationship with them, right? So we, we know, I've reported on this before, car companies are interested in selling on data about you. Now, some of it is just to go for 
advertising purposes. You know, like uh, uh, maybe a sock company wants to know what size you are. <laughs> maybe a political advertiser wants to know whether you'd be a likely Trump voter, because otherwise they probably don't want to send you Trump ads. But there's other stuff that can be a little more nefarious, that can be a little more creepy or disturbing. We do have a federal law in this country that's supposed to protect me from having my health information spread out all over the place. But, you know, Peloton is collecting health-related information about me that could conceivably affect my insurance rates. And that's a conversation I think we should be having, you know, as a nation, as, as a human race uh, in, in 2020. It's not that I don't want to receive ads from people who want to represent me at various levels of government or people who want to get my attention about some particular issue campaign, but the whole conversation has traveled beyond those simple uses um, to something a little more, I would describe it as nefarious because, you know, it's a force that can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And we've already seen it used for evil. We've seen it used to sway elections. Uh, we've seen it used to engage in race-based targeting. And it, it's not just on social media platforms. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. There's still so much that's out of our control as consumers. Rachel says it's really hard to get the data in the first place because some companies either don't have functioning systems for this or they're trying to get out of complying with this law altogether. There's also the fact that the state only has the resources to prosecute a few cases a year. So for people who supported this law, it's not about fixing everything at once. It's about starting to give people any transparency when it comes to their own data. So why do you think it matters that you and me and anybody in California now can get access to their data if it's kind of tedious and in the meantime, companies are collecting and selling data on such a huge scale? Well, so this is an interesting question. I mean, you, I, I put this to privacy advocates like Mary Ross, who's with Epic. I hope that people exercise their rights, that that's enforcement by the attorney general's office is going to be really important and the work of reporters is going to be really important. But it's also going to be important for Californians to use these new rights and really see what is happening to their personal information. And I, I think that that is going to create change and to really make these companies for the first time think about what they're collecting and how they're using that information and if it's done respectfully. There's sort of two things involved. One, because we do have the attorney general looking into this and we also have presumably this office is going to be taking complaints from from uh, individual California citizens, um, we're going to be able to see who the bad actors are. Uh, and, you know, either throw the book at those bad actors and then hopefully that'll have a salutary effect on other companies that might be doing the same thing or thinking about it. But there's also the possibility, and I can't uh, say that it might not happen, that uh, let's say that there's a company that needs to know your location. Let's say Lyft needs to know my location, obviously, so that it can send me a, a driver. But does Lyft need to know my sexual orientation? Does Lyft need to know my bank account balance? Uh, does Lyft need to know my shoe size? It won't end the collection of personal information. A company is still free to collect, and that first party can use that information that it collects. The only thing it will do if you choose to push the button to opt out of the sale of your information is prevent them from further selling it. A company like Lyft might decide, you know what, we're just going to continue 
collecting only the information we need to collect to provide the service or the product that we provide. And maybe that's pie in the sky to hope that that companies will start to think along those lines, but there's more of a chance of them thinking along those lines with this law. Does it give the public more agency or a seat at the table? That's a good way of putting it, seat at the table. I think it does give customers a seat at the table. And so you might decide, whoa, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to delete my information from company X. I'm going to opt out of that particular industry's products and services because I don't like what I'm discovering about the way they do business. And that does have an impact because, of course, that affects the bottom line. So I, I think it, it does have the capacity to, to really force companies to start thinking about consumers in a way that they haven't in, in recent years. Has this whole experience changed your day-to-day behavior at all? That's a good question. Yes, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to admit this, Devin, but it is true that sometimes when I'm Netflix and chilling at home uh, <laughs> with my nice. bowl of popcorn, I also have my uh, Safari preferences open, and I'm sitting there individually deleting cookies. <laughs> and I I understand this is this is tenfold territory. I I know it's it's not psychologically healthy, but I, it's a habit I'm trying to break now. Many, many years ago, I, I used to work in tech support at an internet service provider. And I remember, you know, this was in the day when when you, know, you had dial-up modems and people were just getting online. They were getting excited about AOL. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking, you know what? I can easily see this turn turning bad in two directions. I can see the internet going from being a giant online university to being a giant online shopping mall. And lo and behold, that's what's happened. I can see this, you know, turning into a tool for surveillance states to oppress their populations. And lo and behold, we've seen that happen. But I I never expected this this granular level of, of data and in the end, control. Right? If somebody knows everything about me, even more than I might be consciously aware of myself, that's a measure of control. This is just the beginning of Rachel's reporting on this. Throughout the year, she'll continue trying to see just how much power California's new law gives us. You can follow her on Twitter to see how it's going. She's at Rachel Myro, and you can follow us. We are at The Bay KQED. Also, the nonprofit Common Sense Media has a website where you can get started to finding out where your data is. That website is donotsell.org. Rachel Myro's editor of KQED Silicon Valley Desk. <laughs> I, I call it the Paranoia Desk. Is it paranoid, though? I don't know. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. We get help each week from Kiana Mogadam. Our theme music is by Dowd Anthony. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or tell your friend about an episode that you liked. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you later. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.